Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Hi, everybody. It's February the 2nd, 2017, and it's time for my private audio call. Tonight, our special guest speaker is back by popular demand, Dan Benham. Hi, Dan. Welcome. Thanks, Angela. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad now that you're here. I was hoping you would make it, and you did, and I'm glad. <laughs> I've been did. looking I forward to I didn't, Yeah, I didn't remember a PIN number, so I got stalled there. I had to scratch my head, and I just guessed, and it must have worked. So. Oh, good. I'm glad it did. So... Uh, it's been a long time. So are you off probation and everything now or what? Yes, I am. <sighs> Hallelujah. How does it feel? It feels unique. It feels refreshing. It's uh, Yeah, it's good. Life is good. Good, good. I'm glad. Everything going okay? Yeah, everything's going excellent. I, I couldn't That's... ask for better times right now. It's really going good. Uh... Well, you deserve it. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear it. So yeah, what are you going to enlighten us with tonight? Well, I was going to maybe I... I was going to say we already I'm... have two people with their hands up already, so... Well, that's what I was just going to suggest. Since it's been, what, eight years since I've been able to engage in <laughs> free speech, I was just going to say, hey, maybe the people want to ask some questions and we can just go see see what happens. Okay, let's do that then. Let's see. First okay. up is uh, Scott Odom. Okay, Scott, you've been unmuted. Have a question? Yes, I do. Hello. Hello. Uh, and uh, Dan, it's good to have you back on. Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure. All right. My question is, when... Yeah, you mentioned suing in the personal capacity uh, is for uh, in a, a bank. Um, let's see, um, director. Would there be no advantage to suing in both capacities? Um, I I myself wouldn't take the personal attack on the director at first, um, because as as a director of a bank, he actually took an oath of, to his position as a director. Excuse me. And as such, the oath puts him in a corporate capacity, which means the bank itself would be liable, him, i.e., as a director. So the bank directors would be liable if anything was to be found out to be against that oath that he took in the regulations, statutes, and rules, and policies, and procedures of his duties as a bank director. Personal capacity, I have spoke about several times, that's more geared towards uh, law enforcement because uh, it's very, very difficult. I'll give you an example. If a police officer was to stop a lady and the allegation was that he was groping her, that was not part of his official capacity as a police officer. Um, 
granted that the directors, going back to that conversation, they're not doing what they're supposed to do either, which wouldn't necessarily put it out of the realm of possibilities, but I'd go after the bank first to see what happens. And if that was not successful, then you could go personally after the the directors, plural, because there's always more than one uh, on a personal capacity. But I've never seen anyone have to take that avenue. Okay. Um, now, when you talked about, of course, the securities agreement is normally where they say that they have no rights, title, and interest to the property, correct? So in in my case, it's a local bank that, you know, presumably it's, it's not securitized. Would they still have that made that same claim? Or are the local banks securitizing them also maybe in a, a different way? Okay, something that you said there was a little bit confusing to me. When, when you said that I had said that the security um, – that they didn't have a right to your property. Um, the right to a property in a bank matter is the the remedy, not the cause. What you really need to focus on is the security itself was drafted up by that bank, and that's what their evidence would be to dispute the claim that the bank actually even engaged in a contract in order to get to the remedy, which is rights to the property. So in commercial law, you have, uh, there has to be a binding contract. And that binding contract is signed by, obviously, a party that wants to get a loan and a lender. That contract is allegedly the agreement that says if that contract is not adhered to, the remedy the bank would have pursuant to that contract is the right to the property. So, is that is that a cat? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was funny. <clears throat> so, anyways, uh, what I'm kind of getting at is what you what you want to do is not uh, not attack the the remedy. You want to attack the contract. Uh, again, it all goes back to standing. I mean, if a, if a bank really had standing, then they had the right to the remedy. But they don't have that right. Uh, they never entered into a cognitable contract. It wasn't lawful. It wasn't agreed upon because what they basically did, if you go back in the, in the past recordings I've done, is the bank has actually became a trustee in a trust, but you didn't know that. So, therefore because it wasn't a knowing contract, you can't be held liable or held responsible for the remedy by default in that contract. That's really the re resolution here. But to do it rather than just say it are two different things. The actual doing part is what's, what the hard part is for most people to make it through a banking matter is to dig up the evidence that you need to support your position, which they're going to have obviously, a mortgage or a deed of trust. And they're going to go and say you entered into agreement. And you have to challenge, in my, I mean, just what I've done is I've challenged the, the position that there was a valid contract to begin with. Don't go to the remedy. It doesn't matter what the remedy was. It doesn't matter what the contract was. What matters is that it was not knowingly entered into because they're going to go in there and say they have the right, and you're going to go to the 
to the court and you have to defend that position. You have to support your position that they don't have a right. And the only way to do that in this case is to go after their standing, their right to be in court. They don't have a right to be in court, then they can't discuss the matter. They can't discuss any of the, the, the facts, nor can they go to remedy. Okay. Um, you know, in the same vein, if the city manager is responsible for running the city and you're having a problem with the city, um, I was wondering if you would go after the city manager. However, the parties that were defaulted were, you know, the chief of police and the uh, the prosecutor's office. And so, uh, and I'm filing, I've, I've got an injunction filed right now, but they're wanting me to replead. And so um, I was considering, you know, making it the city manager, but I guess I just need to go after the parties that have been defaulted, correct? I, 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 I have no clue to what you're even talking about. Uh, you said you're having issues with the city. Um, I have no clue to what's going on, so I don't even know if there's anyone to, what, what do you call it, go after? Um, it sounds like you're more or less on a war path. Um, I, I don't know what the, the underlying details are, so I, I really can't answer that question. Well, in, in the general, if, if you defaulted a party, you go after the party that you defaulted, not the city manager uh, as on behalf of the employees, correct? Is the default valid? Yes. How so? Like I said, I, I have no idea. I'm just I'm taking your word well, well, that sure. well, well, I, I have well, no I, clue to what this issue is. Sure. Well, I hope it's valid. I mean, of course, obviously, I'm, I'm claiming it is, or I wouldn't be going to the trouble. Um, where, um, you know, one one process was over the traffic uh, a traffic issue. I defaulted the chief of police, told him that. Uh, to make me aware if I was required to have a driver's license. He actually gave me a personal phone call. When he found out what I wanted, he, he tried to get off the call, and I established that, that we were in agreement, and he, he said, no, we're not. And finally, he said, it was up to the Department of Public Safety to determine whether I was operating in a commercial capacity. So I wrote that up in my second default letter and sent it to him, and, and he de defaulted. I, I went you know, through a notary, had a, a default judgment, and so then I got a, a ticket. And so uh, that was the situation there. What was the actual charge and what do they want? Oh, uh, no registration, driving on a, um, I think they're calling it a suspended license, but that's, you know, because of, uh, you know, what how they... they what they pull you over for? Uh, invalid um, registration. Oh, he seen you and knew that you had invalid registration or well, he just... Pulls you over. No, actually, there was no, I think there was no sticker on my car. I don't know how he knew to pull me over. He just, he was behind me and couldn't even okay. see me. And so. Well, I don't know what state you're in, but here in Michigan, um, a, a police officer can pull you over for uh, some kind of traffic violation or offense. But when he pulls you over, he has to stay within the, the boundaries of why he pulled you over, unless he has probable cause of something else. So if he had absolutely no reason whatsoever to pull you over, I mean, I'd be focusing on that right there. Secondly, what's worked very well for me personally is silver or gold. You want 100 bucks? Fine. Okay, here we go. Here's a couple of gold coins. Here's a couple of silver, pure silver. They'll refuse it. They can't take it. They cannot take it, but you're offering to pay. So it puts them in a quandary. That's a good idea. Well, what about using the promissory note to pay uh, the mortgage? Really? 
What's this promissory note backed with? Well, it's uh, you, are you familiar with Michael Tellinger out of uh, a, um, Africa, South Africa? I, who's? It's backed by a gentleman from Africa. No, 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 no. Uh, it's backed with your promise to pay. Um, it's uh, he. It, the idea. He's one of the proponents. Sir, sir, hold, 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 yeah. whoa, 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 hold on. Before you get into any any explanation, just answer me one very quick, direct question. What's it backed with? Oh, well, it's backed with uh, Federal Reserve notes, I guess, or, or the confidence that I would pay it, one of the two. So you have Federal Reserve notes in some bank locked down with a security number that you put on this note? No. Okay, so what's it backed with? My promise to, well, nothing, I, I guess, the confidence that I'll make the payment, I suppose. Um, it, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't touch it with a ten foot pole, actually. If you issue an instrument, sir, do you realize that you are putting yourself on a different perspective here? Right now, they have the claim. They have a claim that you did something wrong. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So when you file this promissory note, the first thing you do that most people don't think about, sounds good, sounds peachy, let's put ourselves at Social Security number, they're making money off us, isn't that? I'm not going to deny that that exists. I'm not going to deny that there's not an account, even though I know I've never seen any valid evidence of any such accounts. What you're doing is you're shifting the burden of proof on yourself. Why in the world would you do that? Well, I don't, I don't know if it has anything to do with the Social Security number. I guess it would have to, in fact, but, uh, of course, I'm not making I don't have a Social Security number. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, there's just people that, that uh, you know, claim that claim that it works. Michael Tellinger is a big one who is, okay. um, said it, it worked. I didn't and, know and, you might be familiar with him. And, and that's totally fine. I mean, if, if that's the route you want to take, but I myself um, – the biggest problem I have with that entire theory of promissory notes, any kind of, uh, uh, what do they call it, closed checks or, oh, God, they had all kinds of uh, bills of exchanges. and I mean, I've seen all kinds of stuff. It, but the biggest problem that I have is that you are shifting the burden of proof. Why would you do that? Now all spotlights are on you to prove your case. You just denied them any right, uh, any, they have to prove their claim. And you just switched the burden on yourself. Why in the world would you do that, sir? Got it. Right. Well, it was just a backup plan. Um, so now, what about these uh, these uh, banking publications from the Modern Money Mechanics and all of these things? Can those be entered into evidence, or is it is it not even necessary uh, when in the affidavit route? I'm I'm lost at what you just asked me. I'm I'm sorry. The the, the publications put out by the Federal Reserve, such as Modern Money Mechanics and the like, mm -hmm. yeah. can those be you can those be used as evidence? Are those you know self-authenticating? Can since they're out of publication, I mean, are they are they going to bar you from putting those I, into the record? I, I I am totally at a loss at where you're going with this. You want to put in Modern Money Mechanics, which I understand is the Federal Reserve publication from uh, Federal Reserve in New Jersey. You want to put that into a traffic citation case? Oh no 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 no! Is that correct? Well, I'm just no. I'm, I'm off traffic. I'm back on banking now. So if you're if you're uh, got an app, given an affidavit to the bank, defaulted them, and you're in 
uh, you're in a court case, and then you're trying to use that to help establish the fact that whether money was loaned or not. I see what you're saying. Um, no, actually, uh, I don't think that that's any val- validity whatsoever because what you're doing with the affidavit is the affidavit is saying, here's what happened. Please deny what happened. And the bank director cannot deny that that is, in fact, what happened. You take that document into court, and now you're challenging the validity of that actual agreement. Modern Money Mechanics or any other Federal Reserve publication has nothing to do with it. You don't have to go there and tell them or teach them or try to show them how to bank. You're there to do one thing, prove the invalid invalidity of the agreement, period. One thing that you will learn if you ever go through any kind of law school or paralegal school, short, concise, direct, to the point, shut up. Didn't mean to sound rude, but that's the, that's the procedure that I prefer to take because it works so much better. Sure. That, uh, someone had asked you back on the last call about the bank code exposed. I'm not familiar with that, but uh, is that similar to, to Thomas Sh- Sh- Tom Schaff's, uh the secret banker's manual? I mean, is there is that any no, that Tom, information? Tom, Tom actually wrote three different books, and, and Tom and I sat down quite a few different times, in, in, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. And um, he, he did have the liberty of seeing the book. It was a book that was uh, drafted up by myself and David Johnson. David Johnson had equal amount uh, of information in that book. It was a great big banking guidebook is what it was. It, it, it really taught about, you know, what is a mortgage? Another part was what are securities? Uh, what are prospectuses? What is an agreement? How does Article 1, excuse me, Article 9 tie into Article 3, which ties into Article 4, which ties into Article 8? It was just the in-depth book on information that taught you the ins and outs of banking and loans. That's all it did. It talked. One chapter was about liens uh, and, and deeds of trust and mortgages. I mean, it was just a compilation of, evidence, of, of information so that you, the reader, would understand exactly what's going on and what truly is happening during that contractual agreement, whether it's a car loan or a house loan, it doesn't make a difference. I've got his three books, but doesn't he reference a, a third information is referenced, isn't it? Yeah, there's three books. He, Tom wrote three okay. books. I actually have all three of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've got I've got all three of those. Okay, so there's not any yep. other. Mm-hmm. There's not any other. I, I thought he alluded to some information that wasn't actually in those books. Well, I mean, he he wrote he wrote other books. I mean, he he wrote a book on on uh, actually two different books on trading. You know, stocks and commodities and uh, trading well, and, uh, currency markets. But I mean, specifically like a top secret banker's manual, not because it seemed like in his top secret banker's manual he's referring to some top secret banker's information that he didn't actually put in the book. Oh yeah, I, I'm unaware of that. He never, he's never told me about that. Okay, Scott, <clears> um, we need to move I, on, my dear. Okay. Um, is there any problem if when you uh, if you send notices years apart or or what the direct director has changed? I guess it wouldn't matter if you're going after the bank. So uh, I guess that wouldn't. No, be I mean a notice is a notice. Once the, once the notice is served, you got to watch statute of limitations because now once again that one fancy word I used earlier, burden of proof is on you. Now you have to follow the rules. If you default somebody and they give you two years to file your claim in, in whichever court jurisdiction you're going to file it in. You, you got to be in time. Otherwise, you got to start the process over. Okay. 
All right. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Next up, next up is Sapper ninety six. You've been unmuted. Go ahead, Sapper. Sapper, you've been unmuted. Maybe you have a mute button on your phone. You need to undo. Okay. Well, I'll leave it open. When you figure it out, just come <clears throat> online. Next up is uh, how do you unmute Star Eight again? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, I can unmute you at this end. You really don't have to unmute yourself. I'll unmute you. But Sapper, <laughs> you were kidding me. That's the joke of the night, right? I'm trying to push buttons. You're laughing, saying, "Ah, I got the keys." <laughs> huh? oh, funny. Well, no, I just wanted you to put your hand up so I could see you, so I could unmute you, so I would know you were there. Otherwise, I, I you know, it just says West Michigan. I don't, you know, it doesn't say Dan. I don't. Anyway, all right, next up is, uh, all right, Donaldson, I'm going to unmute you because you're next up, but don't make it an hour-long deal, okay? There you go. You've been unmuted. Go ahead, Donaldson. Hi, yeah. Good. Well, I just want to say hello, Dan. Uh, again, I think we've spoken before. Uh, yes, how are you doing? Not bad. Not bad at Go all. Ahead. I am actually I'm actually dealing with some issue right now with the having to do with banks. And I'm going to try to make it brief, like Angela said. But I noticed earlier in the call you were talking about a bank issue, and you said I ha- that we have some sort of right to property. I heard you say, I have rights to the property. I heard you say, the contract is the right to the property. Attack the contract. And then you said, a bank is a trustee in a trust. And, and those four sentences, when, the way you said it, actually struck a chord with me. Because I thought about the, 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 the issue of the check, right, that mm-hmm. I got from, from an insurance company that was issued on, drawn on a, a, a bank that I that I went to to um, redeem it. And ultimately, it was refused, okay, Uh, because they were treating me as if I was a customer, you know, and requiring identification, Um, you know. And from what I read so far, like, I think that the actual federal government is the one that's injured in this in this instance, I mean, yeah, you could say that I am, but by not actually tendering the payment when it was issued already, that the federal government would be the the who is the one with the obligation, you know. And because the 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 every bank is so every bank is doing business, right, with the federal because of the federal because of the sorry because of the legal obligation ultimately the and anyway, point I'm trying to make I suppose is they're trying to hand that obligation down to me and and coerce me to go and get identification. I've been living without state ID by choice because it makes me happy for for like four years. And I, I revoked my signature officially using the correct form and doing all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so by, okay. by having this bank go in and say that I have to present two forms of government-issued ID actually is a form of coercion and compelled it, it is. It is, and you, 
It is, and you can yeah. you can get one that is a universal identification everywhere, and no social security number is required. And that's called the United States passport. Mm-hmm. If you go down to your oh. local uh, uh, your post office, and you get an application for a United States passport, um, on there it will tell you, um, and it's going to take a little work on your your part because you have to convince the um, postal worker that there's more than two pages of instructions because it says page one of four two or four, and they don't give you the other two pages for some reason. I don't know why they do that. However, if you ask for the other two pages, they'll give them pages to you, and they say, if you do not have identification, you can fill out an affidavit of, uh, what do they call that, uh, affidavit of identification. And you get somebody that has known you for more than two years. I used my mother. Uh, they couldn't deny that one. Not only that, she worked at the post office, and she signed this affidavit swearing that I was who I said I was, and lo and behold, there's a United States passport without a social security number attached to it. Did they do that with um, right in the presence of the person? Or in the presence of no, the, the other the, the individual, the affidavit? No. Um, well, my mom worked there, so yes, in my case, yes. But I don't I don't understand it as though that person has to be there as long as it's filled out. Probably would be like, better if that person's there. Right, exactly. Okay, so that actually is mm-hmm. a great remedy. That's a great remedy. Yeah, so, you, I mean, I mean, U.S. passport what, is a is a standalone document anywhere you go. Hmm. Even work. If you look at the uh, all the work uh, uh, forms that they have now, the, all the I nine forms and uh, the uh, you know, which everybody knows, it's immigration forms that you're filling out for work. Uh, it actually says right on there the documents that you need: one passport, or you need this one and this one, or this one, this one, and this one, or you know any combination of two to four different forms of identification. But like what is on those two other pages? Family. If you don't mind me asking, what's on those two um, other pages? It, that's where you're going to find that there's actually an uh, affidavit of identification that can be used if you don't have any other state identification. Is that all? Right. That's mm-hmm. actually crucial, though. That's the crucial part. Angela. Well, I know, but I mean, <laughs> you have to. Do you have to check the little box that says U.S. citizen? Dan, she I asking you if you have to check the box. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go through that form. Do they ask you that? It's a. There's a box on the form. I think it's got to check. You put U.S. citizen or. I don't know if it has national uh, or something. I was gonna other. Say, I do remember checking off a box, but if anyone has one pulled up, let me know what it, what the choices are. Because if I'm not mistaken, I put in there. Oh, it was it was off of. Oh, who was doing that? Somebody was doing it as though it was a non-resident alien, maybe. Or no, wait a minute. It said other. That's what that's what I did. Um, it said other, and then there was a space there, and I put Michiganian. That's what I did. <clears throat> that's excellent. Okay, so you, I can fill out other. That's perfect. And then I'll use my, uh, of course, my QG autograph, um, and then we'll be mm-hmm. all good. Hey, thanks a lot for the question, and I may come back in later with another one if I think of anything. But that was kind of a cool remedy that saves me from having to actually go down and. Um, you know, like engage again with the DMV. I would look. I think it would look absolutely. Here's a question: How stupid would it look, right? If I if I go back to the DMV and sign up 
with them again just so I can cash this check. That's retarded. Right. You know, it doesn't show very good ethics at all. But the idea mm-hmm. would be like, if if I if I do honorable things in my life, you know, then I I'm hoping to be able to get that back, you know. And uh, right, that's that's the way the that I live rule, anyway. You know? It's dishonorable. I mean, that's all I want is the truth, and I want the truth out there. I want to help people. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to argue. I don't want to fight. You know, the a lot of people think that the police are the bad guy, and they're not. I mean, they're really there to hurt you. They don't are there to help you. Excuse me. You know, they you got it right the first stuff, time. Like else. <laughs> so you know. Okay, that good for you, Donaldson. Thank you. Next up, Southern California. Go ahead. You've been unmuted. Southern Cal, that's you. Yeah, um, I was going to ask, has anything changed in the last six months on the mortgages and on the credit cards? Uh, That I I have no idea. The last major changes I knew of were 2004 or 5 when George W. Bush was president. He changed a lot of the uh, banking and also bankruptcy laws. But I don't know of any major changes to the statutory, um, you know, the statutory languages of the underlying acts themselves. Yeah, yeah, like FCPA or credit cards. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. I I don't. Not that I'm aware of, but I don't. I don't know. I haven't really. Yeah, I know. They're all the changes. Okay, that's all my questions. Um, What? Let let me let me clarify a little bit of that though, because I think it was two or three times that I was on this on this call which brings us back probably close to a year ago. Um, you know, the, the, I went in depth with the, the prospectus form, the, you know, the 424B4 prospectus. Well, they've uh-huh. changed the name of that, and they've changed a lot of the language in there. Um, so what, what that tells me is the banks either changed their language or some law forced them to change the language because all of these prospectuses have changed now. And I know before it was very simple. You go down to the ownership over the securities, <clears throat> excuse me, underlying securities pool. You know, <clears throat> point blank said that the lender had, or the excuse me, the servicer had no right to our interest over that the ownership of that of the notes inside of there. Um, and they also started using an interest in the note, interest in the note. They never, ever, ever say interest in the property or interest in the address or location or anything like that. So you, you really, really, I, I mean, this goes to, applies to everybody that's, that's even engaged in a banking issue. Read these documents nice and slow, real slow, and know what these words mean because we've got some Johnny Cochran's out there putting together this stuff. These guys are very, very powerful attorneys. And they know how to use words. And when I seen it, it was night and day different than what was going on back in 2000, 2004, 2005, and six. So something changed, and the wording is different. So that may have been the same time something changed that you're asking of that I'm unaware of. Or mm-hmm. maybe they changed the policy or procedure uh, within it. And, you know, just they keep adding stuff to it. And I, and I haven't done any research in the last year, actually. So. With regard okay. to that topic. Um, there are respecting that in Arizona. Any any thoughts on that? I apologize, I didn't understand what you said. MERS. What's the mortgage uh, reinvestment program MERS? or yeah, MERS, MERS, yeah. 
Weren't they sued several times and thrown out of Florida or Georgia or something? Well, I got, when they started, okay, we we started looking into it. And what we found was it's the first corporation that's ever been made out of programming. A computer program made that corporation. So there's no accountability, 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 accountability mm-hmm. for for anybody. And that we thought was ingenious. A corporation made out of thin air. No accountability. Wow. That's what we're looking at as a program. Oh, and I want to give you something else. Uh, I don't know what you think of it. Sure, any thoughts? I had a traffic ticket, and I went in the court. And what I did is I surrendered the defendant, which was my birth certificate. And I watched him play play with that. <laughs> they didn't know what to do with you, me. You did what? To so your what happened? Oh, I'm sorry. I surrendered the defendant. I was there as a messenger and as a courier. Yep, so okay. what I did is I told the court that I'm surrendering the defendant. Here he is, and you can do what you want with it. And then at the end, I signed the court as a judiciary trustee to uh, discharge, I forget what the discharge or offset any any debts or balances in that have accrued in this court. I had You know, that's actually brilliant. Um, and there's a gentleman by the name of Stephen Pevar. Uh, that's P-E-V-A-R. He, uh, last I know, I, I don't know if he's still there or not, but he was the lead immigration attorney for the Civil Liberties Union in D.C. Uh-huh. And he actually, he actually wrote a book. And inside of that book, he explained it, it all had to do with Indian laws and Indian treaties and, and so on and so forth. However, he goes into a nice little history of the laws. And, most, and, and what he exposed in there, most people are unaware of this, is that the United States itself, the government itself, are the trustees for the trust. Yes. And, we're supposed to be the benef- and we're supposed to be the beneficiaries. Yes, so exactly. if, you, if you walk into any situation... Uh-huh. Any situation, and treat it as though it is trust. You'll have better outcomes. Yes, that is exactly. They wanted me to engage. Well, did you do this and all that? Um, I, I just kept quiet. I I asked him a question. Uh, what did I ask him? Oh, um, <clears throat> I asked him, was it lawful or was this illegal? And he said both. I kept on asking questions. I never. I mean, no statements or anything like that. I, I let the procedures go on, I think. I even asked if, uh, do you need my presence here? And he goes, yes, stay there. Okay, I'm there. So I just was hmm. there as a courier and as a, as a messenger. So, you know, and, and so what happened? Goes... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead with that one. I was just asking, well, what happened? What's the outcome? The outcome? Oh, uh-huh. I don't know. They just went through their procedures, okay? They, well, you know, he did this, you know. I was, it was just that I went the left and the right middle of the night, okay? I should, you know, I, I needed to go, you know, I had to go to the bathroom really quick, and I had to go beeline. So I had to, I took a left instead of a right, and they caught me, and there, there I was. So 
So it's uh, an ongoing issue still. No, I don't know. It's just that okay. nobody... <laughs> what happened is, this is the last thing he said. Okay, really, really, maybe have, a, maybe have a, a, an opinion on this. He said, um, what did he say exactly? Let me give it to you. This is only a civil matter. Okay? That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's the only thing he left on, on the table. Or, you know, in other, words, in, other words, in other words, all they want is money. There's no yes, criminal exactly. liability or attachment to it. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it's interesting. One, The first gentleman that was talking to me, I got a little bit into suing in a private capacity. Um, mm-hmm. you, you really don't have to do that if you don't want to. And I know mm-hmm. I really rustled up some feathers here when I, when I did this procedure myself in a traffic citation is that the the officer, again, our constitution is not for us. It is there to protect us, which I'm I'm not preaching to you because I can tell by the way you're conversating. You probably already know what I'm saying, but I'm saying this for everybody right now is that they're the ones that took the oath to it. They're the ones that said that, you know, none none of, none of the citizenry that I am about to protect and serve uh, is bound to speak against himself. And you can rattle off any of those uh, Bill of Rights or even the constitutional parts, and they don't. we don't get our rights from there. We get yeah. our protection from the Constitution. The Constitution mm-hmm. protects us. It doesn't grant us anything. So, being said, the officers, once they swear that oath, they have to be bonded to do what they're doing. And that bond is placed by an insurance company. And that insurance company, obviously, no different than your car insurance, get into a car accident, your insurance kicks in. If you get in too many accidents, they revoke your right to be insured. Same concept. But here what you do is you catch them in constitutional violations. And you find out what insurance company it was. Last I knew here in Michigan, it was uh, Michigan Municipal Risk Management, held all the bonds for all state and county employees. And what happens on there is there's a form that you can get from them. It's a, it's a bond claim form. It's a claim against a bond. And mm-hmm. you put down sworn certified uh, evidence with that complaint or claim. You file a claim against them. And after they get three valid claims against their bond, they can never mm-hmm. be bonded ever again to hold that position. Exactly. Most of the time, they're holding one bond for the whole city. So you can really shut down a whole city, right? That's what I'm Well, there's, I, I will guarantee before they shut down City Hall, they're definitely going to uh, uh, let the one guy go. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's just that mm-hmm. uh, they're really desperate. I'm seeing that real desperation that they're, and they're really getting people with tickets and, you know, uh, permits. You know, and... And it goes right back to money. I mean, that's what it is. They're spending so much that they need to make more. It's a, it's run like a business. I mean, there's, I have a couple of very good friends of mine that are police officers here in town. And I mean, and I seriously, I mean, very good police officers have been doing it for 30, 40 years, and they get it. They know it's a game. They know it's nothing but a, a bankroll for them. And they have quotas. I mean, the police officers, uh, you know, their the departments are actually making quotas. You have to go get so many tickets in a given period of time. I mean, that is just flat out, it's run like a business. Now they, that's all they want is money. It's not about protect and serve. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there you okay. go. Okay. Is that it for you? 
I think so, unless I figure out something okay. else. And I'll All right, jump back in anytime. Good talking okay. to you. Great question, by the way. Thank you. Next up, Fast Car. Go ahead, Fast Car. You've been unmuted. Hi. As, wait How one second. Doing? Let me just mention to anybody else that's on the call, if you'd like to ask Dan a question or make a comment, press star 8, and that'll put your hand up and get you in line. All righty. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Thanks, Angela, for having and hosting us. Uh, Dan, thanks for everything that you're doing. Um, you. I'm glad that your gag order's off and that you're free to help folks the way you love to do. That's awesome. And trust me, a lot of folks, I'm sure yeah. that's a big relief to them, too. Um, yeah, I have a situation. I have a mortgage situation, but um, I'd actually like to speak more to uh, my professional situation. Um, I'm part of a, a group of individuals that uh, have have been practicing uh, a holistic health um, uh, process for many decades. That's um, it's basically in the field of stress relief, and uh, we get wonderful results. And we're endlessly harassed by the chiropractic boards for doing what we do. And um, they're going after us. Uh, they went after us in Arkansas. <clears throat> um, the way we've organized ourselves is through a private membership association. Um, basically, the, the legal theory was that uh, the police power of the state gets engaged. Uh, the regulatory bodies are empowered to police the, um, the public domain. And so our thought was, you know, if we invite members to exit the public domain and enter the private domain um, through their right of uh, freedom of association, um, along with many other freedoms that are acknowledged in the Constitution, then we should be able to do what we want to do and get the government off our back. Um, they're coming after us now in California, um, and it's, it always starts with the chiropractic boards. It's really hypocritical because they were... They were harassed by the medical boards for many decades. Uh, it was, they were persecuted. They finally got the medical boards off their back, and now they want to create their monopoly. So it's just um, one special interest group being swapped out for another, essentially. So um, they're, they're at it again. And listening to what you have to say about um, standing, I just I love the argument. I just love it because I think that the ultimate sophistication is simplicity. And if you just Absolutely. take away their yeah, take away their right to to even engage you, right? Then I mean, it's well, it's like how can you win better than that? Because arguing the merits is just it's a spider hole, and you always lose that's, because that's, you can always get. That's where they want you to go. Yeah, exactly. So I'm looking at our situation professionally as a group uh, of holistic practitioners, and I'm thinking. Uh, we should be arguing the same thing. We should just the, we should not go to the point. What they want us to do is they want us to say this is not chiropractic, and we can prove it. And as soon as we do that, then we just lose because the judge will the, the judge will just decide uh, with the plaintiff, who is the regulatory body. You know, they all golf together or whatever, and uh, the chiropractors win again. So I just, I don't even so want what to. Is the, where is their foundation? Where's their foundation? I mean, what gives them the right to even say anything to you? They're trying to say that you have a chiropractic um, agreement with them and that this holistic is not part of that agreement. Is that the underlying argument? What they're saying is that we are practicing chiropractic without a license. So we reply and we say, I'm sorry, we practice in what we do, which is not chiropractic, in the private domain. 
and we do not practice on public persons in the public domain, which is what you have the right to police. That's essentially okay, so our... So, okay. So your ultimate defense is going to be the uh, private membership, which is, by the way, brilliant. Um, a, a gentleman I, I have the honor of knowing is Charles Dewey Tobias out of uh, Orlando, Florida. Um, he was a triple diamond in Amway, which, as you know, is a private, well, was in the very beginning, it was a private membership. Um, and they do still exist, and they're very powerful. Uh, and I don't know if you can get a hold of this gentleman. I haven't, I haven't talked to him probably since 2002, 2003, maybe, maybe four, somewhere in there. I mean, it's been 13 years. I don't even know if he's still in, in, in Orlando or not, but uh, the man is a graduate of MIT out of a student couple cum laude out of MIT, and I mean, he beat the IRS 19 times before I even met this gentleman. He's just, he's a super brilliant man, and, uh, but I have Is he a PMA guy? Or, is he a what? A PMA guy? Private Membership Association guy? Is that why you're uh, bringing him up? Right. That's why, I meant, that's why I mentioned his name. I mean, the guy is an absolute genius, and uh, he, he was involved in several of them, actually. Matter of fact, he was part of construction of the way it had to get set up. I mean, the guy's brilliant with it. So, I mean, if you can well, get the guy that, that um, brain... hooked me up with mine was Carl Dahlstrom, who's actually pleaded before the Supreme Court. And he's been advocating private membership associations since the 1970s. Right. Um, What's he, the guy's name lost... again, Dan, in Orlando? Well, his name is Charles Tobias, but he goes by Dewey. Dewey. Try to look him up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, I, I've got some excellent audios of Dewey talking tax code and administrative yeah. procedures. And, well, you mean, know, to well. be honest with you, the uh, PMA is pretty ingenious, and I've also done, uh, like you, I like to dig deep and start looking at the case law and, and look for weaknesses in it. And, you know, quite frankly, um, I feel like if you went and if you, if you chose to go into court and contract with the court and the plaintiff, which I don't even know if that would even be a good idea to show up. But if you did, I feel like they could try to attack the PMA, you know, because it's the, 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 gov the uh, courts have been slowly narrowing and making stricter what they allow to be a private membership association. For example, you mm -hmm. can't have a membership association anymore. I don't believe that's just men. Um, uh, they okay, took that away from Yeah, you can't be discriminatory. So the, 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 the Supreme sure. Court or the higher courts have decided, well, you can have your PMA, but not, you know, if it offends, you know, uh, if it's not good for society, essentially, because it's right. discriminatory. Right, okay, so, so the, the best way to approach that would be to attack their claim, and their claim has to do with some license, kind of like yeah. a license to practice law. Um, I don't know of any attorney, not even the United States, you know, attorney or even any state attorney that actually has a license. So I believe the chiropractic industry, do they not get a certification from the chiropractic association, maybe? Um, I, my understanding is they get um, licensed by the state chiropractic by, board. By the state. Okay. Okay. I, I apologize for my ignorance. I'm not that familiar with how, how that works, if it's just a certificate or if they get a certificate and then that gives them the right to go get a license. Yeah, I think they get um, a, a license from a, 
the state chiropractic board. I think that's how that works. Um, yeah, it sounds like maybe I would want to go and look at look at the actual. The, there's laws out there, uh, kind of like the United States Code. Everyone's familiar with that. However, there also happens to be what's called the statutes at large. And I don't know if you've ever heard this explanation or not, but the United States Code is not the law. The United States Code is a redrafted, reworded version of the original statutes or the original verbiage of the actual Congress, what Congress actually said. What Congress actually passed in the United States Congress is going to be called the United States Code. Or excuse me, the okay. statutes at large. Then the Law Revision Council of the House of Representatives redrafts it, rewords, and everything else, and and tries to codify it, and they call that the United States Code. However, if you go to the Law Revision Council of the House of Representatives website, they flat out tell you that what they're trying to do is trying to make it easier on us citizens who don't really understand the law. Congress goes in, first Congress passed the first law. That's one United one stat stat one. The second law they passed one stat two. So it's the first Congress in thousands a lot. So we're up to like 124 stat whatever. So the same rule okay. applies in the, in the states. So if you can go and find the organic statutes and find out what Congress really said about this licensure to find out if it's really absolutely mandatory to do it or if private is allowed. You'll find the answer somewhere in them statutes. You won't find them in the regular law. Like Michigan Kapala law, you won't find it there. You have to go to the actual Michigan statutes, which means you might have to go find a really good law library and actually find the verbiage and the okay. wording and the intent. Of so the what you're behind. saying is if I go to the organic law, <clears throat> excuse me, the statutes at law, and I, right. and I find that the chiropractic license really isn't there, there really is no uh, clause, I can't remember the legal term, but... Well, there might even be verbiage in there, but it might be verbiage where when you're reading through it, it says that, you know, if you want to do, go out and, and practice on the public, then you have to get this license. Well, you've just told me that you guys are set up under a private and you're not dealing with the public. It's only private membership only. That's right. Okay. Okay. So that's so one way to attack There's that. a hole. Right. So even if they claim that we are practicing chiropractic without a license, you're saying that if there really is no organic statute requiring the license, then we're off the hook, even no, no matter what right. they claim or how we feel about their claim. You, you just strip their standing out from underneath them. Okay. Your Honor, I, I completely agree with their claim. Their claim has nothing to do with what we're doing. Not okay, what about a more basic standing? Uh, the standing of two Americans to have a contract. You know, no state shall impair the obligation to contract. Uh, Joe wants this process more than anything else. He goes, begs me, Clark, please do that to me. I don't care if they call it chiropractic. The chiropractors don't provide your service. Can you please do this to me? Uh, he and I contract together. We did not create a tertiary agreement with the state. How isn't there a more fundamental lack of standing when I exercise my right to contract with a fellow American? Uh, well, let me let me ask you this question before I, I get to that. What evidence do they have that this is even existing? Wouldn't they have to have a complaint? No, they uh, they if they you know we have. Um, 
information out there on the um, on the internet that people can find. Mm-hmm. Um, they have sent private investigators in, um, you know, to pose as participants. And what these these guys do is then they go and they lie, and they'll say, "Oh, he he did some chiropractic moves on me." Um, so they just was there only one person there? I mean, just you and that person. And I'm just for example, right? One yeah. person. Yeah, in that case, there was there wasn't a witness. <laughs> that case got completely botched. That was in Arkansas. I mean the. Hmm. The uh, practitioner didn't even bring up the PMA, which to this day, uh, I'm just like, what were you thinking? Yeah. But um, anyway, if it's private, I mean, it's private. You know, just if anyone comes in, is that the first question you're asking? Are you a member? No, I'm a member. Yeah, I meet somebody new. They got to they got to join. They got to become a member and they have to read the contract and sign it. They don't agree with our philosophy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're walking in, you're asking me for services. I, I don't provide services. However, if you're a member, I can certainly, you know, help out a member. Right. So but, but speaking from that club, standpoint, from that more fundamental, um, uh, you know, level of standing, where it's me, mano y mano, the government's not around. I mean, if I if the the, the chiropractor is going to try to haul me into court, for example, they come after me, right? So, um, this is what they've been doing for years now. So, uh, you know, besides your organic statue idea, what other idea do you have, possibly, to challenge their standing to or their right to to draw to drag me into court? Well, I mean, you you got a person standing up saying that you did something. And the first thing I'd be saying is I don't find you on our membership. We don't even, you know, we don't engage in anything with anybody in the public. It's all private, and you have to be a private member. And I don't recall you, and our books don't show anything of you being a private member. So I don't know who you are. And you, maybe by chance, you know, you got some vendetta against me, and you're just perfect. Oh, they had an, I know, I know this what this case was. Okay, there was an affidavit by a chiropractor that saw one of our um, guys working at an expo. That's what happened. And so he he filed a complaint with the chiropractic board. And he seen that person doing something to a that, member that of resembled the that resembled yeah that resembled no a private member of that individual's private association. What he what we do uh, could be interpreted it resembles chiropractic if you if you're kind of ignorant. The truth is, they feel they own the human body, you know, pretty much from the right. neck well, I mean, to the low you're, back. You're, you're so. going you're you're going back into the merits, just like you said you didn't want to do. I'm yeah, still exactly. back there at that agreement. So if he was in an expo, then the person he was working on could very simply walk up there and say, I'm a private member. Yeah. But the chiropractor that was watching said, you're practicing chiropractic, and uh, I'm going to report you. Went to the chiro board and reported uh, this practitioner. And then he got, okay, a cease so and desist. He, he got a cease and desist from the chiropractic board. And then the letter writing started. So both people, the one who is helping the private member and the private member himself, do affidavits, send them to the board, and rebut everything he was saying. I don't know what this guy was talking about. I'm not, I'm not part of the member of, of of public. I'm a private member, and I just asked him for some help. It just happened to be in the public presence. Doesn't mean that you were acting in the public. Had nothing to do with that. 
Right. Don't yeah, that's what we that's that's where don't, we're at right now, you know, and yeah, don't we went back and forth with the chiropractic board's attorney basically arguing that and now uh they're going to file a lawsuit, I guess. Okay. So the next the next step the is lawsuit, to, try to make sure I'm so, I'm sorry to mean to cut you off. Oh, so the next thing is they're going to try to engage us in court. And I just okay. know well, that, you know, it could be a slippery slope. Well, you're going to get a complaint. And when you get a complaint, they're going to give you 14 or 21 days, probably a civil matter. They're probably going to give you 21 days to respond to it and have a response ready. Answer everything on there. But don't leave standing. I saw him, you know, at one of the parts in there is, I, you know, I seen him perform chiropractic services uh, at such and such time of blah, blah, blah. Let's go in here. Private member so-and-so was, you know, um, asked another private member to help him out, and he did. Yeah. I mean, you just just rebut everything in there. Just don't leave, don't leave standing. Yeah. Uh, they already they already left it. Unfortunately, a little bit early. Guys started arguing. <laughs> they they started arguing about you know in California they have a um, they've got a new law that's supposed to protect holistic healthcare practitioners from being uh, harassed by you know medical mm-hmm. regulated regulatory bodies. But right. um, so they they brought that in there. But um, you know, one of the stipulations is you can't give drugs, you can't do surgery, and you can't do chiropractic. So, you know, so then you go back to the argument. Well, it's not chiropractic. I mean, I feel like they're handling it wrong. I agree right. with you 100. percent I, 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 okay. I see what they're doing. So, here, here's two, uh, that here's two court cases. Here's here's two court cases, real quick, to to help Hello? you easily go right back. Hello. Hello. Can you hear Hello? me? Hello? Can, Did can I... you hear me? I can hear <laughs> Is you. Is anybody now. there? Okay. Okay. Um, hello, I'm, hello. I'm going to leave you with two. Are you there? What happened? Did we lose Dan? No. I can no. hear no, Angela. Right I, you guys, He's I'm Donaldson. I unmuted I myself, but oh. she sounds like she got cut off somehow. Okay. Angela, are you there? Okay. Here we go. My volume... I guess I leaned up against my volume control, and it went all the way okay. to nothing. I've been going, hello, hello, hello. Yeah, I've, I've been talking, <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, two, court case, two court cases before you leave that will maybe help reassure you that you can always, always, always go back to standing and jurisdiction. Steel Corporation, it was uh, Steel versus Citizens for a Better Environment. I believe the year was 1998 in the United States Supreme Court case. Excellent, excellent, excellent Supreme Court case. However, 2002, U.S. versus Cotton decided that steel was now absolute law. We're not going to discuss it again. Steel was right. And if anyone tries to send anything back up here about steel versus citizens, we're going to kick it out. Okay. And the court was unanimous, so it is now absolute, concrete, true statements out of steel. And steel okay. Very so arguing standing based on our ability or our right to um, practice in the private domain, you know, is cool. <clears throat> Are there any other um, uh, rights? You said that wrong. Let, let me let me interrupt you because you, you're okay. the, the way you said it was wrong. You went back into defense mode. And you need okay. to be on attack mode. When you're going after somebody standing, 
you are going to, they're going to bring up merit after merit after merit after merit. They're going to try to get you off that standing topic. You need to be a pit bull. You need to not focus on anything other than getting standing on that record. And it's not about you defending yourself with a private association. It's their right to come after one. Where is your right to come after a private membership? You don't have any right. You don't have a right to be here. That's what standing is all about. You, sir, do not have the right to come in here and even talk about what happened because you don't have a right to be here because you have no rights over private membership or something to that effect. Okay. Got it. That's helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I needed to hear that. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate it. Angela, thank you. Sure. You're welcome. Have you ever heard of... Hey, Angela? Angela? Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. This is Donaldson. I have one yes. question regarding this private community uh, uh, issue, and I, it's kind of important because I was looking up common interest communities, and actually there's a whole section of law in the law library all about common interest communities. And was that – I was going to ask uh, Dan if, if he could re- talk briefly about that and maybe he could relate some of that information. All right, but you can. just jumped right in, Donaldson. Can you wait? We have like uh, four other people in. Well, uh, I mean, well, it's not my. I mean, it's on topic, so I, it might get lost in the mix. But I'm willing to wait. I, I, I'm, I'm not. I've never even heard of that term, common interest groups. Um, I mean, don't take this wrong, but that sounds like an AA meeting or something, to me. <laughs> Probably is. I, All right, I'm, let's I'm not go. familiar with it, so. We're going to move on. Donaldson, put your hand up if you want to get in line. Uh, Smur, 333, you've been unmuted. Hey, Dan, thanks for your call. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. And let me come back. (laughs) I just had a question regarding um, the interest in any securities that are issued. Uh, Kind of working out the matter, figuring it out from a corporate perspective. You have a foundational document, Articles of Incorporation, on file with the Secretary of State, and then whatever subsequent registrations in order to issue uh, securities or whatever exemptions they have, and then the two dual ledger, you know, according to generally accepted accounting principles, it's an, it's an asset of the corporation and also a liability to the shareholder. And then looking at it from the perspective of the individual relationship with the bank, like in a card issuer agreement, and on the bottom of every receipt you sign <clears throat> saying it's an agreement or like a promise to pay. So I'm I'm getting the inference that that's, that's a security that's being issued against any kind of, against the agreement. Absolutely right. So what I was watching recently was a video that was on C-SPAN a while back uh, in regards to uh, revi- revised Article 9. And what the group was discussing were um, financing statements. Um, and uh, the correct addressing of organizations and debtors and assigning interests and sufficiency of statements. So I started getting interested in understanding, and they even joked around in this particular, uh, I don't know if anybody else on the call has seen the video, but they were even joking around saying, well, I've heard it said that the state issues a birth certificate in regards Mm -hmm. to whether they're talking about how the organization was a debtor. And later in in the video, the gentleman who seemed to be the know-it-all with respect to the, you know, the actual use and implementation of the of the security uh, arrangement, the interest that's being communicated, uh, 
and uh, an investment property, and uh, they they were discussing how uh, the assignment of a collateral agent, um, uh, preferably one that's in the employer in in a direct relationship with the depository for the instrument, um, was a necessary element of the uh, of the ability to transact on the on the on on the interest. Uh, gained on on the investment and the issuance and the purchase of the security, and whatever the relationship is, I discovered has been where banks are involved with respect to brokers and dealers under the Securities and Exchange Act. They have specific exemption from certain notice uh, arising under that particular <laughs> provision. So they're not even having to disclose their relationship as a broker dealer with respect to the securities that we're issuing, and that being a summation and and two. The, the, giving rise to a course of action whereby a financing statement with a properly identified organizational debtor uh, and indicating sufficient collateral with respect to that existence of that organization <coughs> would be sufficient to have an assignment to a collateral agent in the in the you know in the employer or, or associated with the, the, the depository with respect to the securities and. Then what, what, I, I kind what, are you, what are you getting at? I, I know where you're going with with what you're telling me, but what what are you trying to ask me? I guess that's the question, brother. I, I don't know where you know the implementation, and then I guess uh, I've had a few ideas, and you know, often be careful about discussing them privately. And I've I've actually had referral to an attorney for the the institution that I wanted to. Uh, kind of implement this. Let, let, let me let, let me let me explain a little story about what I did one time in a half a million dollar house in upstate New York was discharged within 24 hours. Um, you, people have to understand that when you go to the bank, you're forming an agreement with that bank. And that agreement happens to be a trust, which I explained. Then the bank goes to the Federal Reserve to get the money based upon your signature. It is your money. You sign a promise to pay because you're basically the sovereign telling the Federal Reserve Bank via the trustee, your bank, that you're going to pay that money back when they print it because we had all of our rights to pay for stuff taken when they took our gold and silver. Are you with me so far? Absolutely. Okay. So when the bank finalizes that transaction, they then go to the open market and trade it as a commodity or a stock or some kind of pool agreement security. The broker then makes a deal with a bank which has nothing to do with you. To put it in layman's term, the broker that they're dealing with or the investment company, all they're doing is buying a stolen car. You can't go to the person. If my car, if you stole my car and then you sold it to Angela, I cannot go sue Angela. I have to sue you. Because she bought it in good faith. She didn't know it was a stolen car. Now, in this case, we know that they know that it was a stolen case, car, but this investment firm did not. What I did is I drafted up that affidavit, and I sent it to the lender that was threatening foreclosure. Excuse me, the, the law firm, because the law firm was, in, was handling it. But I also, inside that prospectus and inside of all the securities, I found out what investment group they were actually investing with. So I faxed that affidavit to the investment group as well. I have never seen a mortgage issue that was scheduled for court in like the next two weeks. The next day, the law firm wrote a letter, faxed it to the guy that I was helping, faxed it to the court, 
begging the court to drop the entire issue because I let the investment company know that the bank sold them a stolen note and I was about ready to expose them in the courts. They dropped that note like a hot potato. They didn't want nothing to do with it. Interesting. Think about that for a second. You don't have to go after it. People are wanting to send these promissory notes and are wanting to do these bills of exchanges or bonds and all this other stuff. Expose the fraud, people. Expose the fraud and we win. It's that simple. People send in mortgage or yeah, if people put in bonds or bills of exchanges, you're letting the game continue and you're putting the burden of proof on yourself. Why why would you want to do that? It doesn't do anything for the people. It doesn't do anything for you other than make your life hell because now you gotta explain what you're doing. They don't have to they don't have to prove standing now. They don't have to prove the merits. When you send something in, you're one, you're validating that the note exists and that you're trying to debt discharge it. You validated the claim. Now you're trying to pay for it. The burden shifts to you. You can choose that route, and if you win, congratulations. I have more power to you. That's a hard road to, to, to go down. Expose the fraud. Find the ways to expose the fraud. Pull the carpet out from underneath their, their feet. No standing. And if they want to play, dig real deep and find out who's buying them notes. Let them know that you're about to sue them. Not sue the investment company, but sue the bank that sold them a fraudulent document. Okay, is that it for you? That's all, right. all I had. Thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate it. I, I hope that helped out. It went sideways from where you were going, though, I think, but I hope it helped. No, it's always just in any perspective. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Go ahead. Say what you're going to say. I, I accidentally pressed the mute button. Go ahead, Smurf. Oh, Finish was, what you were going to say. I, I was just going to tell him that it's always interesting to hear whatever perspective you have, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, next up, TalkShoe901. You've been unmuted. Hello, TalkShoe901. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, I have a few questions for Mr. Beanham. Um, Mr. Beanham, when you got your passport, did it have U.S. or U.S.A. on it? I'm sorry, it has what? Did your passport have U.S. or U.S.A. on it? Oh, good Lord. They took it from me back in 2008 when they arrested me. Oh, okay. I they thought I was going to leave the country, so they took it from me. I don't remember what it says now. And how I mean, that was that? nearly 10 years ago. Okay. I think it said U.S. passport. Okay, and how do you spell the Steve Pizer, the author, the writer? How do you spell his last name? Who? Stephen Pavar? The one that you said about P-E-V. Yes, P-E-V-A-R. P as in Paul? P as in Papa, A as in Alpha, B as in Victor, A as in Adam, R as in Randy. Okay, now you made a really big statement about this million-dollar home and blah blah blah. No evidence to show it to anyone. So that sounds like it may have been a state that was judicial. What do you recommend for non-judicial states? 
<clears throat> a lot tougher. Um, I have I have seen a lot of times a UCC five being filed on top of the mortgage. The UCC five is a correction to an underlying agreement. You have to go down and find out what the uh, the, the registers number is on that mortgage and use that number, the filing number, on your UCC-5. And a debtor or a, a secured party can file basically a rebuttal to the filing. And you put that affidavit on there. And you also have to have the default on there. So you have to serve the, the affidavit, let it cook for a month. After a month, default them and put both of them in there. And then, unfortunately, you're going to have to sue them for obviously filing fraudulent documents within the, the county records. And there is a statute for you to have standing and give the court jurisdiction, which is going to be filing of fraudulent or uh, improper documentation with a register of deeds. Can you explain what Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, and that's basically the underlying agreement is now when you file, remember, you're not defending yourself now. Now you're attacking them. So when you go in to basically sue them for placing a lien on a house using documents that were perpetrated upon fraud, uh, that's the grounds that you go on and you go in there and that's when you get to say, no, this is what really happened and so on and so forth. So, you know, again, you're not going to, you're not going to talk about banking or how banking works. You're just quite simply, in trust law, it's going to be misrepresentation, disloyalty, because in a trust, there's three main parties. There's a trust, a trustee, a beneficiary, and then a grantor. The grantor was us when we signed the note. We granted the Federal Reserve permission to print that money with a promise to pay them back. That's as simple as that part gets. The trustee is the bank. And the beneficiary is obviously the person that bought or that, that sold the house. They got the benefit out of the deal. So the grantor actually has all rights. People don't realize the power of commercial law. If there's a trust form, the grantor holds all power. The trustee does not do exactly what the grantor says or wishes, because a trust is normally someone putting property in trust, the trustee protects it for them until it gets released to the beneficiary. Well, if the grantor being you sign that note, you're the one drafting up the affidavit. That's essentially what that affidavit is. It's an affidavit from the grantor stating that you didn't comply. This is now misloyalty, uh, disloyalty, uh, misrepresentation, and it was all perpetrated on fraud. I never come in to create uh, some trust. I went down here. You said that you had money, that you would loan me money and give me a house on loan. That's not what happened. In turn, I was the one that issued the money. In our country, when you signed that note that he was just talking about, even the credit card statement, the promise to pay, there's only one signature on it. That is not an agreement. Anything bearing one signature is an authorization form. You need two signatures for an agreement. So you created the money. You're the grantor. You do have the rights to go in there and sue them. And you're going to sue them for standing. 
You don't have any right to do any of this. Because why? Because the bank doesn't have a right to be there. Why don't they have a right to be there? One, they lied. But two, more importantly than anything else, that bank did not risk anything. In order for someone to have standing, you have to have been damaged. How is the bank damaged? They weren't. There is no damage. There's a damage only. The only damage the bank can claim is damage to a contract, but that contract was drafted upon fraud. Does that make sense at all? Um, that's a lot. So I'm going to move on. Can you explain what he means without due course? Sometimes it's on mortgage documents. You know, I've heard this several times, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate here for a second. I'm a, a Johnny Cochran-type attorney. You, you signed this contract, right? Yes, but I signed it with due course. Okay, well, you still intended to enter that agreement. The way that I'm understanding it is, you're using a section of the Uniform Commercial Code to identify the type of signature you're putting on there. In other words, you're signing it with limitation. Okay, well, that still is a merit of the issue rather than the intent of the contract. So you can sign it however you want to, but it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Did I lose you? No, I'm just listening. Well, Mr. Bean, okay. <clears throat> excuse me. You got to say you got a lot of information. <clears throat> excuse me. And you're one of the few people I've heard that makes some logical sense. So do you have, are you, <laughs> well, I mean, some of the things you're saying, it's, um, it, it has logical to me and some things do not. But I'm in a non-judicial state, so I know how the game is played here. Are you right. teaching in seminars or classes, and how does one contact you to really get a better um, understanding? I, 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 have, I have been uh, under the thumb of the United States federal government for the last eight years, so I have not done any seminars in a long time. Um, I've agreed with Angela to come on here to try to help people as I can, um, it's just now it's a lot freer because I don't I, I can free speech and I don't have to worry about um, you know reporting or having people eavesdropping or whatever and so on and so forth. Um, I I can help people. Um, I I do live a very busy life, um, and I one thing that I've always always tried to stay on top of. Last week, for example, I helped some people out with their credit. <clears throat> they had pretty bad credit. And, um, Rather than me do everything for somebody, I would rather show them how to do it or teach them how to do it so that that way they know it. Uh, one, it helps because you know it. But number two, when you go into a court, especially you going after them with a complaint to claim, you have to know a whole lot. I mean, these guys, there's a lot of tricks they have, a whole bunch of tricks, dirty ones. And it's always best if you go in there with the information in your head because that's also going to pick up your confidence. 
when your confidence is up higher, you know what's going on. You drafted the documents. You know exactly every intricate detail of the case. You know the law yourself because you went and read it. You printed it. You know where it's at. It just it, it makes it a whole lot different. It turns you into the actual lawyer going in there saying, hey, look, this is what's really going on. Well, what about, you know, didn't you, did, 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 you get, did you get the house? You're going to the merits, Your Honor. This has to do with standing. If there's an unconscionable contract or an illegal or a fraudulent document underlying this entire case, should we not talk about that before we get to the merits of the case? Okay. Well, that's what I'm asking. How does one <clears throat> get in contact with you to, to get the learning or the teaching that you do? Ooh, that's a good question. I wasn't ready for that question tonight. Um, I, I have not made myself public uh, for a very long time, and now I can, but I don't want to open up Pandora's box so that I get everybody all crazy. How about um, How about I give uh, Angela, anyone who wants to get with Angela can, uh, and if it's okay with her, to just forward the email to me, and then if I obviously I've got the time on I can give you a call because I really I do work seventy to eighty hours a week during the week. I could do that. Okay. Well, I appreciate. And then once I have it, then yeah, once I have that, then you and I can speak freely to each other that way. Okay. All right. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for coming on. Okay, next up, Scott Odom. You're back. Mm. He's He's back. back. Scott, are you related to the Odoms here in California by any chance? No. Well, my little brother lives in uh, Santa Cruz, down below Santa Cruz, but no, otherwise, no. No, Uh, the one I know is in Torrance here. They went to school here. Anyway, okay. Uh, um, did you have a, another question? Yeah, we, you had mentioned that 424B prospectus, and you said we need to read that with fine tooth comb. But um, you know, that's where I'm confused. Uh, what I was stating that does that relate? How does that relate to me? My house is a local bank. I don't think it's been securitized, and I don't know if do I need to try to find some type of prospectus and be familiar with that? Is, is that available in a potentially unsecuritized note, or I thought you said don't worry about that, just go after the contract instead. Well, the, what you're going to do with a prospectus form, a, a, a prospectus, do you, are you familiar with what they are? Generally, just hearing about it on the phone calls, people like, um, you know, qualify, uh, maybe, I'm just, generally. Okay, any company that wants to go public and and buy and sell stocks, commodities, notes, whatever, in the open market, they have to file with the SEC. When they file with the SEC, they have to file registrations, but they also have to send out quarterly uh, updates and also a prospectus. A prospectus is what is given by any investment company. As a matter of fact, if you have any kind of investments out there, once or twice, maybe, maybe every quarter, your investment company is by law, they have to send you a prospectus. And it's going to go through and tell you what the stocks are, what they're made of, how much they plan on what the projected amount could be. I mean, all kinds of information in there. However, the original prospectus that was uh, sent in to the uh, SEC has to explain ownership over that pool. So you have a local bank. This bank does maybe 
we'll call it 100, 100 loans a month, the smaller bank. They pool them up. They, they bundle up into what's called a pool of security, and then they sell it off. Now, a lot of smaller banks are actually part of a larger holding company, and the holding company is the one that securitizes and pulls them up into bundles and then sells them in the open market. And that's what I'm kind of saying is you have to, you, you got to do your homework. It's, I don't know every lender out there. Credit unions work different. Credit unions are actually under uh, Credit Union National Association. You have state banks, and then you have your regular uh, NA, Bank of America NA. That's a national association. So there's different ones, and actually if you go inside of Title 12 in the United States Code, it'll actually give you who is regulated under which one. For example, there's a section in there about credit unions. There's another section in there about the national associations or banks. Um, and it kind of goes through and tells you the differences of them. So you just have to follow the chain. It's it's no different than trying to do a deed, of, deed you know, search on the house, going back and doing abstracts. You have to dig through there, and once you find the note, then you have to find the big pool security, and then from there you'll know which one to get because you go to the prospectus and you go through and you find out what they have a right to, and then you also have to mar marry the securitized public offering, which is going to be there's going to be hundreds of different pool securities in there, and you have to find that one. I mean, it's not easy to do, but that's what that's what I do. I would go I thought, and I would find. I thought that only related I mean, to um, I thought that only related to banks that um, that securitize the the loans that like that that the big banks that sold them off in local local banks. If it's do they do they not keep the loan in house and it's not securitized possibly? I'm not aware of any banks that can do that after 9/11, but there might be some out there. Okay, well, that was—I I didn't know if that applied to me, so I, I wasn't even looking for that because I didn't think that was uh, uh, available <clears throat> to me. So I need to do. Uh, what, how do how would I load, How do I get the 424B prospectus? SEC.gov, and then look for Edgar Search and start type your bank's name in there. Okay. Uh, you don't. And, and, go ahead. No, go ahead. That's fine. Well, is there anything more on the Edgar search to find that? Well, it, it's going to be tricky because you're going to find like uh, General Motors, for example. General Motors doesn't only engage in auto loans; they engage in uh, you know in mortgages. They engage in credit cards. So it's not like a real simple search. I mean, you're going to take hours of your time looking for the right mortgage note. And then you're going to find uh, the securitized um, uh, the, the, the pool. You're going to find, like, this pool of security consists of these 100. The next one's going to be these 100. I mean, you, it's going to take a bit to find the, the specific one, but once you find out which note was yours, then you can find the pool agreement it was in. Then you can find the prospectus for that pool. And that's where the that's where the power is because now you can go into a court and you can say here's the alleged note, here's the security, and here is this the plaintiff himself double certified this prospectus and set it to the Securities and Exchange Commission, and it says in there that they don't have any right, title, or interest in any of the notes. Okay, well that's fine and dandy, but. The complaint here that was filed in this court, Your Honor, says that they do have a right. They're here saying that they have a right to this note now. They don't have a right to the note. How can they have standing? So they either lied to the federal 
government via the SEC filing, or they're lying to this court right now. And me being the citizen that I am, I have to report any fraud, especially if that's on a Securities and Exchange federal level. Is it uh, the easiest? How soon to your loan would you look for that? I mean, would you look? Would you be impossible to tell? Could it be within five years even? Or actually, not. Oh, no, they're uh, all. No, they're dated. One, one's going to say a pool of security dated. Uh, whatever date from such and oh. such date. It'll say that okay. it was from January to March from that Got letter. It. This one's going to be March to April or March to June or something. It, that, like I said, it's a hunt. It's a search. But once you find it, print it off. I mean, it, it's gold. Okay. Yeah, I think I had actually started on that long time ago, and I didn't, I didn't yeah, couldn't find it to tell. Hey, do you have um, – I'll go back and do it again. Uh, Tom Schiff's audio CDs, do you have any uh, way of locating? Do you know if those are available? Uh, I've tried to do a search for those, and if there's some additional information in those that are not in the book. Uh, Tom Schaff's, no, I I don't know of any of them. I've got the books. Um, and the last I knew, he went to the Philippines, found himself a wife, and was living in Arizona. I mean, but that was, again, 12, 13 years ago. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, all of my questions. You did never try to, to get a copy of that um, uh, document I mentioned earlier from Fam Guardian, did you? The uh, um, what was that? I'm looking at my notes here. Um, did you? You had said on the last call that you had given an original copy to um, Fam Guardian, and your your original oh, copy. Chris Hansen? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Hansen does have an, an original Adobe file on the bank code exposed. David Johnson has one, and in fact, I think I've got the original at the house. I just don't know how to scan it. I, and mine's all printed. Okay. I, and it's, well, I mean, it's over four hundred. Yeah, it's over four hundred pages, so it's going to be a oh. big scan or one heck of a of a. Uh, uh, facts, that's for sure. <laughs> the bank code right. exposed. Yeah, there's no name on it. You're not going to find any. Yeah, it's, okay. it's just a, it's a book we put together with mountains of information on mortgages, securities, uh, the UCC, how how all this connects. Wow. I'd love to get a copy of that. Should probably publish it. It even. It has one chapter in it, for example, that I have not talked about for a long time, which I think I should, because every single regulatory agency of the government has it. In other words, the FDIC has a copy of the same document. The Federal Reserve has a copy of it. The SEC has a copy of it. And if I'm not mistaken, so does the Office of Thrift Management, which covers the housing. They they all have documents like this. So... You know, the the first one I did was obviously my own house. And when I went and filed my documents, I had the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, and the SEC's documents, which all said the same thing. And all these documents were not the SECs or the governments. This is what GMAC, who had the mortgage on the house up in Traverse City, they filed it with them. So it's not my statements. I'm just saying that you guys filed this with the oversight of the federal government over banking. So you're lying to them or you're lying to the court? Which I, I'm confused. And I have a right hey. to talk about it in this court. I have a right to talk about it in this court, 
because it has to do with this contract. And you're saying that you do have a right over this contract, now this court. However, you told the SEC when you're doing filing that you have no right title or interest in any of it. And that just kind of confuses me. What did they do at that point? Dropped everything. I never made a house payment. They paid my insurance. They paid tax. They paid everything on that for the next two years. And on my credit report, zeroed it out, said I made, I paid it off perfectly. Paid as agreed, zero balance. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, next up, guest 10. You've been unmuted. Do you have a question or a comment for our guest speaker, Dan Benham? Yes, 10, you've been unmuted. Okay, well, if you think about it, put your hand back up and I'll unmute you again. We're going to move on to Southern California. Go ahead, you've been unmuted. It's me again. Um, okay. Can you go back and just pound that stuff about... Oh, man, I was just listening to all that stuff. Uh, I'm just going to have to go through Um uh, um, standing, the proper definition for standing. That's probably where everybody's getting bogged down at. And just give examples or something, because uh, it needs to get pounded in so uh, everybody understands what you're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's crucial. Um, in in the court, in any court of this country. Um, I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this off going back to Steel versus Citizens for a Better Environment. I, I mean, really, everybody on here needs to print that entire case and read it ten times, if not more. I mean, learn yeah. it inside and out, because what what that court Supreme Court that was the Supreme Court of the United States of America, by the way, and I believe it was 1998, and it was extremely crucial that the Supreme Court went through and explained jurisdiction and standing and they started with jurisdiction and you have basically essentially three forms of jurisdiction there's impersonum jurisdiction which means that they basically have jurisdiction over the person they also excuse me have subject matter jurisdiction that means they have authority to hear the subject that that is being discussed in other words the statutory law was violated that's essentially the the two primary jurisdictional challenges and it can be challenged at any point in time no matter what and once it's challenged it must be proven now I'm, I'm going to say that again jurisdiction can be challenged at any stage even 30 years after you got out of prison jurisdiction can never be waived ever it can always be challenged and it must be proven not may must shall be. The second part of that case talked about standing and how a person has to have a right to be in front of the court. There's two parties. There's a plaintiff, an accuser, and then there's a defendant, one who's defending the case. The accuser is the one who has to have standing. They have to have a right to be there. Driving down the road, you run some kid over that person obviously is going to have standing because they were damaged. You hear of all these environmental cases. Some environmental law was broken. They have standing via that environmental statute. In the case here that we're dealing with, our, I've heard the traffic citations, and I've also heard uh, private practice, what 
we call private membership, I guess. And I've also heard a lot about banking. In these cases, what we're finding is civil infractions. What gave them standing? Well, you violated the civil law. Well, did you, by any chance, do anything unconstitutional to get me to that point? If they did, they lost their right to be there because they have to follow certain procedures. In the case of private membership, private membership, I don't believe, I don't believe that some organization can come in there and make such a, a threat to a private group of people that are not practicing on the public, and they're all private members who have made a mutual agreement to do something in private that wasn't in violation of law. Banking, they go in there and say that a banking law was fractured via a contract. They don't have the right. If you don't have the right to be in court, then the court loses its subject matter jurisdiction because even though the bank law may have been fractured, if the contract was void, then they lose standing and that rips the court's jurisdiction. Now, the court went on to say, going back to Steele versus American uh, before citizens in a better environment, the court went through and said the order in which this shall be proven is jurisdiction first. Once jurisdiction has been proven, and this instruction from the Supreme Court was not in general. This was an order to every single court in this country, state or federal. The order is as such. Jurisdiction shall be first proven. Then they move to stand. Once those two are proven, they can go to the merits of the case. If someone wants to jump to the merits, a party always has the right to bring up standing or jurisdiction. Always. And it has to be proven. So jurisdiction and standing are, are kind of similar, but standing says that the party doesn't have a right to be there. Jurisdiction means that the court doesn't have a right to hear the case. If you, can, if you can win a case from either jurisdiction or standing, you don't have to go through the hogwash of the merits and who did what and what color was. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to talk about anything. You don't have to defend yourself on what you may be filed back against them. It's simple. It makes it easy. Jurisdiction and standing makes the deal go away. Okay. Is that it for you, California? No, this is excellent. This is like the law 101 or 102. I'm really, really telling people just to listen and read on this. Yeah, you can um, listen to the recording over and over and over again. So Exactly. Sleep with it on. I'm, I'm serious about yeah. that. With it on, it helps out a lot. I know it sounds stupid or something. But no, that, no, it's exactly how you do it. That's proper definition right there for everybody. And that's, that should be pounded into you. If you don't do any law. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Absolutely. Very good. You know, right. it's very interesting too. It's very interesting too that anytime somebody challenges jurisdiction, the you're you're challenging the court and you you're gonna start ruffling the feathers of the judge, which is not too popular if you're trying to defend yourself in court. Where if you go on standing, which is going against the other party, and you have federal documents proving that they don't have a right to be there, it leaves that judge in an awful small corner 
I, I mean, is it really worth it to that judge to possibly have a securities fraud investigation, including himself? I mean, guys, think about that for a second. You're going to turn the SEC against the judge? And, and it's not by your choice. It was because of that party. Judge, what are you going to do? Are you just going to maybe let this one go? Or do you really think it's important enough for you to protect your buddy over here during a Securities and Exchange Commission fraud investigation? That's pretty powerful stuff. What I'm saying, get ready for a ride because it's, 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 not, it's not easy. I mean, it's a, it's a road. I don't want people to think you just file a couple of documents and your problems go away. Study it, research it, know it, breathe it, live it. Stick know these gun. cases. Know what the case said. Hold their feet to the fire. Okay, uh, next. I said and hold their feet to the fire. Don't let them run yeah. over you with, you know, because that's what they try to do, you know. Oh, they, but they anyway. will. They'll go to the mirror every time. Every time they'll try to say, we well, didn't get a holiday. It has nothing to do with it. Once you prove that you have a right to be here, maybe we can discuss that. Supreme Court made that very clear here. As a matter of fact, Supreme Court 2002 with U.S. versus Cotton amplified it, said they're done talking about it. This is it. Yeah. It says I can challenge jurisdiction and standing at any point in time. I'm challenging standing. Well, how, well, how do you have a right to be here? Well, don't you live in the house? You're going to the merits again. What gave you the right? You told the SEC that you didn't have any right to it. Now you're telling the judge you do? I'm confused. Your Honor, can I please get an expedited copy of the transcripts here so that I can send it to the SEC and get an investigation going on? Because something's funny. There you go. Okay, Illinois, you've been unmuted. Did you have a question or a comment? Thanks, Angela. Dan, back in 2006, I received a mortgage um, from Washington Mutual. Two years later, Washington Mutual went under. I received a letter from Chase saying they now have the, the loan. Um, I paid Chase um, until they, they said they no longer had the mortgage. Um, since then, I've received uh, probably five different servicers over the years. Mm -hmm. at, this, at this point, I'm selling my house. Um, we have a deal. I have a buyer. I have a, um, a real estate attorney handling all the paperwork, part of the transaction. And um, what I had asked him was, um, during the process, I asked the, the real estate attorney uh, that I have, I said, I'd like to get uh, uh, my original note and mortgage back. I said, well, what do you think about that? And he's like, no, no, you don't really have to do that nowadays. Um, you'll get a satisfaction of uh, mortgage. I said, but <laughs> what I'm doing now, I'm just I'm dealing with a servicer, and I, I really don't know who owns the debt. I just want to make sure the, the proper uh, uh, party is paid off. So I was well, thinking yeah. about... I was thinking about uh, having him uh, ask for uh, verification of debt and also ask for the original note and mortgage upon payoff because we're going to be probably uh, uh, closing this deal out in uh, the middle of March. So um, right. I don't know. I don't know if there's well, much time well, left. Number, no, number, number so, one, the notes, are, the notes are destroyed immediately. The Federal Reserve gets a note from the lender and they're destroyed. You'll never see that ever again, ever, ever, ever um, and the switching of hands, that was the primary reason that MERS got sued 
in Florida and got thrown out of Florida. They they never could do any deals down in Florida for the longest time. I don't know if they're back down there doing it or not, but I know Florida kicked them out because they were jumping titles, jumping deeds, so to speak. However, one chapter in the book that I was talking about, The Bank Code Exposed, talked about servicers, what they are and who they are. Servicers are the ones that collect the money. When you sign a mortgage, even the first one you said was Washington Mutual or something, um, they were nothing more than a servicer. And when a servicer sells something, they can only sell what they own. And I'm going to try to say this slow because I, I normally lose people at this point in time. But the original bank was a servicer. So if they sold it to Chase, what did they have a right to sell to Chase? They didn't own the note because Securities and Exchange Commission documents say that they have no right to ownership in them. All servicers have a right to is the servicing of a debt, not ownership of it. So all of those transfers were nothing but transfers of servicing rights, not ownership, meaning you have to go back to the original mortgage holder. And you have to do like an abstract and come all the way up to current. So if it jumps four hands, you're going to have four different assignments, servicer assignments. And the first bank that it was, once you find them on the Securities and Exchange Commission, because uh, they do have archives in there, you can always find information on banks that um, have been shut down. And once you find it, you'll actually see that they, all these companies, even current ones, have a servicing agreement that they file with the, with the SEC as well. They have the prospectus, they have the registration, they have the, you know, uh, all different documents in there, but they do have a servicing agreement. And I always encourage people to go back to the very first lender and get a copy of the servicer statement. Because when you sign for a house and all those hundred papers or whatever, however many contracts and documents you sign, one of them is a servicing agreement, which flat out tells you they admit that they're a servicer. I mean, they tell you all this stuff. If, if people would just stop and read what they're signing, they'll realize what's going on. But most people don't. They don't care. They just want to get to their house. So, you know, I, I myself, I go back to the original one and then find the transfers all the way to current. And then once you get to the current one, go find their pool agreement with the SEC and backtrack it back to one. So where I stand right now is I probably got about five weeks before um, uh, this whole deal is settled. Um, they're ordering the payoffs now, or we haven't yet, but um, we're in the process of that. And um, I, like I said, I don't think I have enough time to do that, but how do I protect myself or just make the so-called uh, servicer prove up on, uh, you know, who, who the actual, uh, and I, I know uh, nobody's going to step forward and say they're, they're the, the holder well, of the debt or the holder in due course. You, you can simplify this by just going back to the original servicer and finding not only the original stuff that I was telling you, but also to find when they transferred it to somebody else. That transfer is going to show you that all they did was they transferred servicing rights. That agreement right there will, will be enough. 
Because they, okay. they didn't transfer ownership. They didn't transfer ownership. All they did was transfer to servicing rights because they never owned it to begin with because this company never owned it. If this company never owned it, how could how how can Chase Bank now today say that they own something that the original owner or original party never had ownership to? All they have is servicing rights. Is there a legal format to where we can we can put this issue like off to the side and have it settled rather than um, tying up this potential uh, uh, buyer? You know, in, in, in this uh, absolutely. Absolutely, because you're going to have two years and the statute of limitations is two years on, you know, when you find something out, you've got two years to file. And right now you don't know. I mean, it's, 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 we're talking about it, but do you have the stone cold facts in your hands that that's the case? No, you don't. When you do find it, you're going to have two years from then to file a, a suit against them for damages. Okay, so we can pay off this servicer, and then I can pursue it, you know, like you say. I've got two years from the point of uh, finding out about it. <coughs> That's correct? You really okay. got to go through and find out when, when, that, uh, when that bank went under or sold. Yeah, they would be liable. The new, the new bank would become liable for... All of the others. So no, it would be the current bank. Yeah, it would be. It would be the current servicer. You made me think on that question for a second. But, yeah, the title goes goes long. So, yeah, it would be. <clears throat> okay. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Angela. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Thank you. Next up, uh, Donaldson. Go ahead. Donaldson, you've been unmuted. Hey, what's up? How are you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, I wanted to mention um, something to Dan about the, the common interest communities. Yeah. That I brought up earlier. <clears throat> yeah, and, I'm, I'm uh, not familiar with it, so you... Yeah, uh, for the interruption earlier, I was excited to talk about it. But I took this screenshot that I would be glad to, uh, you know, share with with everyone... But I think you could just Google it, you know, and get the, the information. Common interest communities basically uh, uh, are also called uh, common interest development or CIDs. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, they include like things like condominiums, retirement communities, vacations, mm -hmm. timeshares, and other housing developments comprised of individually right. owned units in addition to shared facilities and common areas, right? So, you know, there's a lot of foreclosure stuff people getting kicked out of places like that so that the owner can raise the prices you know and i don't think that a lot of these people realize that they are in a common interest community you know some people are just getting and and, and with that information maybe that would help you know some people stop you know from stop stopping stopping them from being kicked out you know uh, of their home you know what do you, what do you think about that because i mean the advantage of living in, in type of a circumstance like that is basically, you you know, you get to enjoy amenities. I mean, they're made, they're mostly made for like high end communities, I suppose, like, ten, you know, tennis courts and swimming pools and stuff like that. Right. But I mean, it just, I guess, depends on what the community rallies around really. Right. Right. And you know, the house up in Traverse city, 
Um, it was in, in fact, if anybody wants to go through and look at the archives and find out everything about this, it was 249 Peachtree Drive, Traverse City, 49686. Um, however, that house was part of a community. I didn't understand what you were saying earlier. Um, and the community was basically you couldn't build a garage that was taller than your house. You couldn't build a fence unless it was so tall. And so I was just little petty rules about the way the housing should be. Um, it sounds to me as though when you said that owners were kicking people out so they could raise prices, more or less sounded to me like a rental agreement, that like somebody was renting a house and can get thrown out. Because if I buy a house, I don't care if I'm part of an association or not, all they can do is find me. They can't throw me out of the house, and they can't certainly can't take my house from me. All they can do is bill me for not mowing my grass and keeping it cut pursuant to the association rules. Um, so it, it kind of baffles me there. And, and the reason I mentioned my house in Traverse City because it was part of an right. association. And I still went through and did everything that I did. And it had nothing to do with the association. The association had nothing to do with the lenders. So, Well, that's good. Excellent. But the other thing was that here's another point that I mean, you might want to in, hit on is that, you know, the, it's my understanding that under certain congressional acts or statutes, that Congress has uh, Congress has well, the United States basically owns all property, uh, and I mean, meaning all property, including other property, and and so when 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 the bank forecloses, right, are they are not the the government? They are actually a private actor, even though they have a symbiotic relationship. They are a private actor. Is that a defense uh, to to foreclosure if it's a bank? Because it's because you know when you really think about the, the the federally insured loan, right? Isn't it backed up already by the United States? Go ahead. I was going to say you threw a couple things at me there. Um, I'm going to throw out a person's name here, uh, David Wilbur Johnson. Wilbur Wilbur is W I L B U R. Um, this gentleman may or may not be alive. He was quite uh, older. Uh, he, he's probably in his mid-70s at this point. Last time he was in Florida. He was actually the other author of this book called The Bank Code Exposed with Me. David Johnson is by far the utmost genius with land rights that I have ever come across in my life. I mean, this, this gentleman knows it inside and out. And the reason I'm bringing him up is because I heard a lot of stuff about, you know, uh, getting the land patent. Um, and I actually do. I have the land patent for the property up in Traverse City. And it was signed by Ulysses S. Grant, and it was to a William Chandler and to his assigns and heirs forever. So the President of the United States issued a land grant for the land that my house sat on. However, David laughed at me and said, that's garbage. And I said, what do you mean? He says, who gave the property to the United States? Show me the bill of sale. There's got to be a bill of sale somewhere. Without a bill of sale, there is no ownership. And I stopped and looked at him with a deer in the headlights, but I could not rebut what that man just said because there has to be a bill of exchange. Some kind of bill of sale has to be present. He says, Dan, what you got to do that. is you got to take – pardon me? No, I said thank you for that little bit of information because I have a property issue that I'm dealing with right now. You must be like a, kind of psychic, but go ahead. Well, this is – it's simplistic. With, with what he did is – um, you know, I keep going back to just 
take on the easy stuff. I mean, there are people think way too hard about stuff. When when you think about a piece of land, you do the abstract. You find out who you bought it from. They find out who they bought it from. And, I mean, you go back, and what Dave had me do is he went all the way back to the original treaty. You'll find it. It's going to take time. But you can go back to the original treaty. There's three different treaties here in Michigan, for example. There's an English treaty, a French treaty, and Indian treaties. And I did all of the all of the searches all the way back, and I found out that there was an Indian treaty up in Traverse City where the land was. And interestingly enough, that original treaty was to a person, not a company, not a government, not a municipality. It was to a person. And that treaty said that there shall be no taxes ever. And when you bring all of them abstracts, you go to the original treaty that the Indians did with this man. He sold the property later, sold more, sold, 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 and it kept going and going. And it could have been, you know, 4,000 acres at first, and now it's only a quarter of an acre, a little house in a subdivision. doesn't matter. You find all the abstracts coming up here, lay them down in front of whoever's giving you an issue, and ask them how they have standing in property that their name doesn't evolve. We're right back to standing again, guys. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, live on standing. What gives you a right to come in here and tell me any of this? This is about standing. I'm sorry, I don't. Yeah, I mean, you want to issue a citation? You want to issue me a citation because I have an extra car parked outside. I'm sorry. Here's all the abstracts. Sealed, certified, and everything else going all the way back to the Indian Treaty. And I'm sorry, but your name appears nowhere in it. How could you possibly have standing in this issue? Just because somebody filed a document in your office called a mortgage or an abstract of title, your name is nowhere on it. All you did was recognize that the transfer took place, not that you have any interest in it. And some some cities and counties actually try to um, get standing to enforce, you know, their uh, some sort of like eminent domain by just helping out on your property, putting up a fence. You know, if, if if there's like if they if they deem it to be a public nuisance or something like that, you know. But um, as as did happen actually with the property uh, at 424 Van Duzy Street in City of Watertown, New York. That's the property that I'm I'm helping. There's, it's a beautiful spread of land that was basically taken because of a. Um, like a bill, basically, that the city of Watertown came in uh, with and, and passed They They kind of passed it down because the, the chain of ownership, it, I mean, it used to be the Department of Transportation Buildings, the old Department of Transportation Buildings for the city. But then what happened was, I guess it changed ownership and actually went to private hands again. So it started out in private mm-hmm. hands. and it, So what they ended up doing was using a slick lawyer to to write a huge legalese deed, and they used a local law, right, local, their charter, to be able to circumvent the state law, which I never saw the resolution for. I need to see that so they so the opt-out. I want to see evidence well, of them opt, opting out. Even, even, even taxes, that sounds like a fraud to me, number one. But number two, yeah, yeah. David also taught me that even tax sales do not exchange ownership. So, for example, if your property had a tax sale, somebody didn't pay their taxes and the government jumped in and sold it, you can go back to the original owner and have them sign an abstract and you have every right over top of all the rest of it. I've seen it done with my own two eyes. In fact, I was going to close with this because i got to go early, uh, go, go to work early, Angela. 
Um, if you can email me, uh, Angela, email me your, your address again. And what I'm going to do is I, I've got audios from David Johnson on land. And I'm, I'm telling you, these audios, guys, David goes for probably an hour to an hour and a half. And he, in detail, explains it. Um, I have one myself on banking. I actually have Dewey Tobias on administrative procedures, which is involving taxes. I've got probably a nice little collection of five or six CDs. And what I'll do, Angela, is I'll send them out to you. Can you get them CDs put online on your site? Angela? Oh, sorry. Yes. I Yeah, I could do that. I'll just upload them to YouTube. I could put them on a private. Well, listen, thanks yeah. a lot for the, uh, taking my, my, my second question. Um, and, you know, I feel a little better knowing that Dan Benham is out there doing things. I feel a little better <laughs> walking you. around every day. Thank you, Dan. Well, I, I appreciate that compliment very much. I'll humbly accept that. And hopefully if uh, we can get these CDs, and I'll, I'll bring them to work for me tomorrow, so you should have them in, in about two or three days. Um, but I think that would actually help a whole bunch because now they're hearing the raw source and learning how to do it themselves. Yeah, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, next up is I Don't Understand. You've been unmuted. Um, Angela, this has got to be the last one because i got to get to okay. sleep here. Okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're at our two-hour mark anyway, so I appreciate it. Hello. I Don't Understand. Uh, you... Hello, how are you doing? Uh, hello, okay. everybody. Um, real quick, uh, Dan, um, I, I um, bought a house in 2006, which was foreclosed in uh, 2012. Um, it was mm-hmm. in my mother-in-law's name, the mortgage. The uh, sheriffs came and kicked my mother-in-law and my wife out of the house while I was out of the country. They posted a three-day notice when I was actually flying out of the country. Um, I did a bunch of stuff. Um, two lawsuits, two securitizations, multiple people going, you know, the Aurora Bank sold it to, I mean, Aurora Loan Servicing sold it to Aurora Bank, Aurora Bank sold it to NationStar, NationStar sold it to somebody else within two-year period. And then after the Aurora foreclosed, the next, about a year later, the the new people that supposedly got the, the house closed again, which was weird. So um, there's a lot. My case has a lot of stuff in it. Um, I, I found my, my loan at the SEC. They had my address. They had the trenches. They had everything there. And um, is there any way that I can uh, uh, maybe spend an hour or so with you uh, uh, whenever you have some time to just go over the stuff and, you know, assist me with how to proceed and if there's anything I could do because my whole point was like did I could never did, go did, it, it really, everything you did, and unless you did the affidavit and served it on the directors of the original lender um, and got them put into default, then you can actually sue them in court for the monetary okay. damages. You cannot, you cannot get the house back. No, no, I, I know that, and part, I, right. I don't. Yeah, I don't care about that but, because whoever but you, got you it, actually, it's not his fault. Right, and you can actually prove not only uh, actual damages but also punitive because I'm sure there was an awful lot of stress and everything else having to, you know, up, oh, yeah, uplift right. your family and move them out and everything else. So, 
There's a lot. I mean, my, my, yeah, one of my, my daughters got a call from one of her friends and said, why don't you come over? We'll move to a new house, and it happened to be at home. So she, when she went to her friend's house, it was, at, you know, at home. When she yeah. got the address, yeah. she just about, you know, flipped. Um, but, yeah, um, that's the only recourse um, that I'm aware of. Okay, but even though the loan was in my mother-in-law's name, was I mean the down payment and everything and the payments and the updates that I did were all out of my pocket. But to get better it's terms, on the contract, it's got to be in her name because she was the one. I mean, even though you help pay for it, it have to be in her name. She, I mean, the lawsuit itself because she was the one that's documented owner. Yeah. So um, she did do a quick claim deed to to us, but uh, the person that was helping us with the forbearing um, deal with them when we were trying to get better terms, um, suggested that I we should... I you off here, but none of that matters. Did you fill out the affidavit okay. in it, director? No, I didn't. I didn't have another affidavit. Okay. I mean, I, I found out about yeah. all that way past. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, get that affidavit, draft it up, make sure it's uh, accurate and as complete in, as, as you can. And get that sent out to the directors and get them in default, and that would give you right to go back and sue them for monetary and punitive damages for what took place. To who? To who? The people that foreclosed? Um, that's what I don't understand because the people that did the loan, the original lender, closed their mm-hmm. doors two months after we we moved into the house. Same topic as and before. If the same topic, if, that you go and find their documents and their securities and everything else and you're going to find their security transfer, their, their servicer transfer, all they can do is transfer servicing rights to the new bank. The new bank did not have ownership rights because the original bank never had ownership to begin with. I cannot sell something that I do not own, not legally anyway. Okay, the the lawyers from Aurora Loan Servicing actually gave me the trust name and also uh, told me on, on one of their paperwork that uh, Aurora is just a, a servicer, and they were foreclosing on me. And, and also, and they, and they um, oh, what was I going to say? You just said something. And, oh, uh, they, they had a, a copy of a note that was, that was signed with, with, without recourse, but it was blank. Mm-hmm. Which I never got. I was just just a copy. I've never seen it before. That right. Particular. I, 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 honestly, I'm, I'm honestly I'm trying to tell you that affidavit. Put them in default. Get your rights. Okay. No, no, try, no, none of that. None of that other stuff makes any difference to me. Um, that I mean, that affidavit is you going back to the original source and saying such and such. If it's a service or such as now, you can draft up that affidavit and add a couple of clauses in there saying that you bought this from such and such. Um, and, and, you know, you don't know these people, but they, you know, they did buy it. So just throw a little phrase in there and as to, you know, it started with company A and it was transferred to company B. However, I walked into company A and this is what transpired, this, 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 and this. I found these documents. I found this document. I found that they were nothing more than a servicer. I found that they had no right title interest in the note. So the transfer did not include ownership over the note or ownership over the mortgage itself or the mortgage pool. It just gave rights to servicing. So if the gotcha. first place, okay. if the first company, yeah, if the first company could not have had a right to foreclose on you, then how could the second? Okay, I got it, you. It goes right, okay. Yep, yep it, it goes back to standing again. I, I never leave standing. I stay there. Like a okay. good place thank, to be. thank you very much. <laughs> 
Thank yep. you. All right, Dan, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. I, I I always look forward to our calls, and I hope we do it again, and uh, we don't have to wait as long as okay. we did this time. <laughs> and, okay, I apologize for that. Uh, you give me an address, and I'll get those uh, audios out to you, and I think that would help immensely on multiple topics. Okay, I have it. I have the email all printed up. I'm just going to send it to you now. Wonderful. I'll look thank forward you. to getting those. Thank you. And, um, all right, thank you. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next time. And um, take care of each other. Be nice to each other. Remember mm. the golden rule. <laughs> All yeah, right, thank good night. you all very much. Thank you, Dan. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.